Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to the Learning Future podcast with me, Luca Parry. Today, I am pumped because we get to speak with Dido Bala, who is an amazing speaker, educator, and entrepreneur. And Dido and I were really lucky to meet in Israel earlier this year. Uh, he's the head of education for the Goldie Horn Foundation, and he focuses, well, he's focused currently amongst many things, but it's to maximize the impact of mind up in schools, communities, and families. And he'll tell us a bit more about that today. Um, but beyond that, he really is on a mission to make the world a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled place. He, of course, is an educator, has a master's degrees of science in secondary education from John Hopkins University, and has seven years experience as a high school teacher. But he's also a bit of a hustler because he founded a nonprofit organization called FitLit, his mission is to blend curriculum of fitness and literacy to empower youth. He's an experienced brain trainer. He's impacted thousands of parents and educators. I've heard him speak. He's compelling. He's a really good man as well. Dido, bienvenue. Welcome. Great to have you here. Merci, mon frère. I appreciate it, brother. I, I cannot wait to dive in. This is one of those uh, long overdue uh, part two of our conversation. So <laughs> Israel feels like it was years ago. But we we hit the pause button, so thanks for having me to hit resume. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in it. It's been a good, it's been a nice pause, very busy pause, I'm sure, for both of us. But you know, tell us. Well, question one, you know, because that trip for both of us to Israel, where we contributed and looked at the social emotional learning field, which we both are part of, pretty profound learning for us there. What what's something that you're learning at the moment in your life in your work? Yeah, I mean that that trip was interesting because it, it it allowed me to 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 go to a place where the everyday uh, dangers uh, for some folks are so real that they really don't know if they are going to see the day uh, or the, the sun of the the the, the light the, the the lights tomorrow from the sun, and I was wondering how people in those kind of circumstances can use what we know about the brain, what we know about things like breathing. You and mm -hmm. I both talked about the importance of taking a breath. And I was very curious about um, the juxtaposition between something as simple as taking a breath and something as complex as conflict, war. And the feedback I got was amazing because essentially I heard directly from folks who are experienced in fearing for their life daily that the power of breath is the difference between somebody breathing and remembering what to do when they hear the siren, mm. what to do when they see people running around, what to do when there's a bomb coming, and the other person not knowing what to do because not taking the breath and going jumping into the reaction um, may lead into making mistakes and, mm. and perhaps getting hurt or hurting others or not making it home that day. So for me, that was very powerful to, to confirm that something as simple as mindfulness um, through your breath, which we all have as long as we're alive, um, was that powerful. So that takes me to what I've been thinking about more recently, which is, mm. you know, consciousness is, is, is interesting because we're, I, I argue that human beings are almost addicted to wanting to take credit for the things that happen to us or around us. And <laughs> I'm reading an amazing book uh, around consciousness. And, mm. you know, it, it turns out that most of the things that have happened for the past million years and for as long as you've been alive in your brain happen without you knowing that they're happening. And the consciousness is only 10% of it. So 
you inviting me to this podcast, us having an amazing conversation, we can try to take the credit, but the things <laughs> that led to that are a mix, it's, it's, a, it's a cocktail of events and circumstances and, and random things that we will never understand. Yeah. And then just a little bit of quote unquote <laughs> agency from us. And yeah. recently I'm just fascinated about that idea of the, the 90% I'm just generalizing here, the 90% subconscious and what's happening under the hood without mm. us knowing versus the small 10% that yeah. we are aware of. And yet that's the one that takes the credit. So that's that's where I'm at these days, man. I love that, Dido. I think, oh, mate, the, it really it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Jung, which is that until we make the unconscious conscious, it will drive our life and we will call it fate. And that's this, this piece around any transformation, which is really the theme of what we've been talking about on this in this season anyway, but uh, to be honest, for most of my life, like how do we change? How do we evolve? How do you innovate? How do you create value? How do you kind of find human, you know, the real humanness in a system, in a relationship and connection? Bro, that's beautiful. This piece on like life being an intricate, you know, balance of chance and choice. And of course, we either think it's all chart or all chart, but it's never. It's like something super emergent as a property. Um, May tell us more about this because you 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 kind of really inhabit multiple worlds here. You know, from the education perspective and transforming that from the social emotional learning, even from the neuroscience perspective and the work you do with Mind Up. But this piece around consciousness seems to be something that's finally becoming a mainstream conversation, and it helps that you know Nobel laureates are determining non-local realities and physics and stuff like that and that's got some pretty influential impacts for the way we think about the world right we think about even this reality that's a big question bro but you know like take yeah, us anyway okay. I, yeah, let's go with it i mean there are many ways to look at it so let's start with what we do with mind up so at mind up we we, we start with the importance of neuroscience and we, we think that every single kid in the world should have a basic understanding of how the brain functions. They don't have to be neuroscientists, but something as simple as understanding that those behaviors that kids ex exhibit every single day, which are often mislabeled misbehaviors, yeah, all those are, are ways in which a brain that is healthy and which is evolving properly is showing up in actions. So there's a lot of power in a kid understanding that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. I am not bad because I felt angry when somebody took my pencil. I am not bad because mm. I yelled when I felt shocked by the fact that there was a test and I wasn't prepared for it or I failed. I am not a bad kid inherently for wanting to skip class with the day when we, we were supposed to have a presentation. There's nothing wrong with you. All that's happening is there's something that happened around your environment that triggered your brain and made you go into that fight, flight, freeze mode where your defense mechanism showed up mm. and perceived that it was safer for you to skip the class and stay home, safer for you to yell at somebody. And the, 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 the more you can understand that, the more you can do something about it. So it goes back to the point you made about uh, Jung's uh, quote. If you bring, if you raise the subconscious into the conscious a little bit, mm. then you have a little more agency and you realize, okay, there's nothing wrong with me for having had that reaction. However, is there something I can do to perhaps influence the way in which I react so it's a little more productive for me and for, for, for folks around me? So 
that's the basic level of what MindUp does with kids all around the world. Yeah, because right. every single kid should know about at, at least to a, a, a small amount, uh, a small degree, how their brain works. So that's that's one. Then you start to think about, well, you can think about the brain as having three parts, amygdala, emotions, prefrontal cortex, high order thinking, uh, hippocampus, uh, memories. But the truth is, it's not that simple. Mm. It's very, very complicated, right? And I love this. I love it because the more I learn about the brain, the more I realize that we really don't know anything. We, <laughs> we really just don't. <laughs> and wow. as a lifelong learner, yeah. I am excited every time I realize, yo, we, we thought we understood, but we don't. So it turns out our brains is a network, right? There's no separation between parts that only focus on one thing or two things. And they're always talking to each other, right? And, and, and so much of it is unknown that I'm fascinated by the exploration of, of what we don't know. So let me kick it up a little bit from the mind up level. So mind up, kids understand the brain, you have your thinking brain, prefrontal cortex, you have your amygdala emotions. So you always want to be in your prefrontal cortex because you think. Mm. But if we go a little north of mm -hmm. that, yeah. you're, going to, you're going to flow, right? Because flow nice. is north of consciousness. So whereas on, the, on, the, on, the, on the, a foundational level, you may think that it's always good to be in the thinking part of your brain. The truth is the times when you feel and perform your best are when you are north of the thinking and you aren't thinking at all, you are performing. That's when you start, you're surfing the perfect wave. That's yeah. when you can write for hours. That's when you get into a trance and you give a speech and 30 minutes later, you don't know what happened and everybody's giving you a standing ovation. That's when you you improvise on the piano mm. and you don't understand how you, you, you perform. That it's almost as if you were watching somebody else, but it was you. So that's, it's that north, that's, that's the north of consciousness, north of thinking. That I'm that I'm fascinated I'm fascinated with these days, mate. I'm me too. <laughs> I mean the, the, <laughs> the whole piece on like and this is a technical term that uh, I've heard as well. But the idea of tran like things called transient hypofrontality, which is the idea that it's like your prefrontal cortex is totally on board when you're in your executive function mode, where you're like I'm you're the CEO, you're directing things, but then there's this transcendent nature. To the whole idea. I mean, I like Stephen Kotler's work on this, you know, effortless effort is what flow is. It's like, it's this idea that you're, it, you become selfless. Things feel timeless. Um, they feel rich and, you know, they feel effortless. This kind of stir is that acronym. And I just think there is something about our work in yeah, not, yeah, not, just, not just schools, not yeah. just workplaces, but just mm -hmm. life because of the mm -hmm. correlation between the more flow a human mm -hmm. being experiences in their life and their level of fulfillment or meaning. And so I really do think if the purpose of education is anything, it's to help cultivate states where we experience flow in our uniqueness. Yeah. And of course, like, how do we do that is the next question. Well, there's certain conditions that we need, there's certain pedagogies that we need, certain curricula that are important, you know, but, but that I think is the, I mean, imagine not experiencing flow in a school experience for a year. I mean, that's, that's in my view, so contrary to what we're learning from the, the sciences of performance and optimal learning. Yeah, bro, I have goosebumps right now listening to you. And let me tell you why I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps because you said, imagine that experiencing flow in schools. If you ask, if you ask the question right now, 
to most educators is flow being experienced in most schools? Mm. As far as I'm concerned, in, the answer is no. It is mm. not being experienced. Yeah. It's not. It should be, but let, it, it's not. I just have got goosebumps because the goal should be flow every day because yeah. that is how you get to the better version, the best versions of those kids. And let's let's slow down on what you 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 stay through that very important acronym, right? The, the stir. Yeah. So the, the stir is the acronym for flow when you, which is a a state is a state of altered consciousness when you feel and perform your best. So S for selflessness, um, T for timelessness, E for effortlessness, uh, R for um, information rich, information richness. Right. So mm. so that that's that's key. We can orchestrate that. Like if you explain this to a teacher, yeah, would you not want your students to feel the sense of selflessness as they, are, as they are performing or engaging with the work, the sense of timelessness, not worrying about when am I going to be done? When do we stop? It's, it's, it's a feeling of effortlessness. It is easy to produce this. Um, and then information and richness, it's almost as if somebody else is like giving you all the little nuggets that you need. We, everybody should want to feel that way. But two things come to mind. Number yeah. one, I feel extremely grateful that I get to experience flow when I work yes. because I was having dinner with friends a few months ago and I ex explained this with all excitement and around the table, everybody was like, yeah, I don't know the last time I experienced flow wow. and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So I feel like we belong to a small group of a small category of folks who get to experience flow every single day. It's not given for everyone. And yeah. number two, back to schools. I don't think schools are doing enough to leverage flow and it's a mistake damn dude i, I feel uh, yeah we're so aligned on this it's i feel like the um the question i always ask is you know what's the young people's experience and then also what's the educator's experience as like because what's the human experience within the human system and so you sit down with teachers and be, uh, this is a question i'll ask in some of my upcoming work well and I do ask it anyway, but when's the last time you experienced flow, even micro flow? What was that context for you? Because if an educator is not experiencing that in a given week, then the system is completely demeaning or diminishing their true potentiality to, to inspire and equip and direct and guide like all the beautiful things we know from the learning sciences about what, what matters. Right. But this, and I don't think, I do sometimes think, Dido, because I'm, I'm kind of like a scientific artist, I guess, bit of the juxtaposition, you know, you know, a nerdy athlete. I kind mm -hmm. of think these kind of terms, but it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's not just the, um, it's not just the exclusive domain of the arts flow. And I think sometimes we, we sim oversimplify it. Whereas I, I do drop into flow playing music or flying down a thing on a skateboard or a, a snowboard or whatever. But there is something about just the, like staying with problems longer, which is this beautiful Einsteinian quote. It's like, you know, the bell goes. And I remember when I was a classroom educator that only this happened, I swear, like on, on five occasions, maybe where the bell goes, no one moves, nobody, because everyone yes. is dropped into an experience at such a level of depth and inner motivation that, that kind of these external organizational devices like school bells, which, you know, we questionable if we should even have, but you know, those those don't have an impact because people are inherently in the experience. It's like that 
the time dilation, like Michael Jordan's beautiful quote. It's like, Michael, why are you so good at b-ball? And he's like, it's like everything else fades into the background and, I, and everything is moving in slow motion. Like that is such a beautiful description, I think, of this, this experience that we are trying to gift to ourselves and to our fellow human beings through experience design. And that in schools, at least, is kind of around pedagogy and awareness and understanding. And yeah, I just wonder, I, I just wonder that, and we are in a small group, I think, that have tried to align our work lives to this experience, um, you know, but I feel like that if that's not the future of work, I'm not sure what is. How do, how do you cultivate uniqueness and richness in the way you contribute such that, and this is, of course, the leadership question, how do you architect culture or architect for flow, collective flow in particular, which, of course, the Navy SEALs do pretty well yeah. because that's the kind of this is the optimal performance space. And I, I feel like legacy systems do such a disservice to hardworking leaders, educators, and hardworking young people, you know? Yeah, it's it feels it feels almost an well not almost it feels unethical for me. It's unethical. I I it it, it, it is so. If you've had if an experience of flow, and you know it's possible to teach kids how to design their environments and understand them themselves well enough to to create that at will, mm. and you don't let that happen, it is wrong. It is it is immoral. And I've, I've wondered about this, right? Because I wonder, it's one of those things you say, look, it's so simple. Why don't we just all agree and just change education all around the world? Today, we have the step-by-step join the Flow Genome Project with Jimmy Will and, and uh -huh. Stephen Codler. Use all the money you have that you waste on all these other useless professional development opportunities. Go do that, right? It, it feels, it seems easy. And yet, I'm not going to be shocked if, Five years from now, you and I have the same conversation and the same problems persist. So mm. I so I wonder why, right? So I yeah. think it has to do with with systems designed to protect themselves mm -hmm. um, as opposed to ask the question that may make them change. So it is better for the system if things remain as they are, because Everything is fast falling into a place that makes sense for the system. That's one. But two, I think it has to do with the amount of suffering around the world, man. Um, it's like if people are suffering and can't eat or or are worried about war um, or don't have uh, or healthcare, it's a little difficult for them to you know to, to pause that to to wonder about uh, yeah. selflessness in in doing anything. So. It, it, I often criticize uh, myself and others when it seems like we are operating from a perspective of as long as we are not suffering, we're good. I really don't like that. Yeah. So I'm always criticizing them because I say not suffering should be the foundation. It's the baseline. Absolutely. The true goal should be to uplift from, from, from there. So I, I criticize that perspective a lot because once again, I'm all about human flourishing. Yes. Not the mere lack of suffering. However, I'm very personally uh, aware of the difficulty of thinking past uh, one day, past one month, past one opportunity when you don't have, um, you know, access to healthcare or food or or shelter, and that's one another issue which it seems to me we can solve. Mm. Um, 
but but we have not. So I I, I pause there. <laughs> right. So that's so powerful. I mean, I I think I think it's the frame that is so that really helps shape reality. I mean, this is back to our earlier question around consciousness. You know, no, I don't. I fundamentally believe, and I think the quantum sciences are showing this that none of us are actually experiencing the same reality. We're all experiencing our own version of it. And, you know, I don't have a background in quantum physics, so I'll, I'll stop there in terms of my analysis of it. <laughs> but I, I really think like this is our, what we're realizing that the observer effect that's now empirically evidential, you know, that this is um, what won the physics Nobel last year was non-local reality, which is to say, you know, when it's only when there's a conscious observer that reality comes into existence. And that's a pretty profound insight that's challenging some classical physics big time. And so I wonder about the, the power of our framing. You know, as you say, like the deficit view or the, almost the pathological view from psychology, from economics, from whatever is like, oh, you're, you're sick. I'm going to remove the sickness. And that is, is such, I, it's important work. But it's clearly not expansive advice. It's not that the absence of sickness does not automatically create wellness. It does not create thriving or thriveability or flourishing. And I just, I just wonder about that. And I think sometimes we are just not nearly bold enough in our ambition within education systems, and hence the need for true transformation as opposed to reform or an improvement paradigm. You know, we still need the learning sciences and improvement sciences, but I believe we need them fundamentally within a transformation paradigm. It's, you know, it's not, let's just do what we've been doing a little bit better. It's what's the frame of reference. What is the core purpose la raison d'être, for this actual piece of our activity of our contribution in, in a life that ends at some point, you know? And so then what's ours to do is a real question that I reflect on all the time. You know, it's like, What's mine to do? Because I feel like in that is is agency, it's responsibility, yeah. it's contribution, and it's uniqueness. It's not just mm -hmm. like what do I, you know, what am I jamming on, or like what's my job? No, it's like what's mine to do over the course of an arc of contribution of a chapter in a school, or a chapter in a consultancy, or as an entrepreneur, or as you know, as a work life what's how do, man what do you think your is yours to do because you've had a beautiful you haven't talked about your story i've heard it from from you on stage it's a pretty profound story about what's yours to do and what you're doing right now in the world with you know yeah. mind up and beyond but yeah i mean that is that idea like like, like, that, like you said what what is that i i am fascinated with questions like that i i, I don't sleep if i'm not thinking about about that and that's why i cannot limit myself to well i'm not suffering today so i'm good no yeah <laughs> and yeah. It's, that is not where it's at so yeah for me having lived in so i'm from cameroon originally right so in west africa having lived in a place where i've seen people lack almost everything mm. and also having lived and worked in places where folks have way more than they need yeah. <laughs> um yeah. i have found that there is a sweet spot for everyone where they can do what they enjoy doing to mm -hmm. per, pursue purpose and also help other people at the same time while expanding themselves. It's almost like it's a, a healthy addiction to growth. 
healthy uh, healthy addiction to self discovery healthy addiction to 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 uplifting yeah. and and that's what i'm all about and i and i believe that everybody can do that in their own ways so we talked about flow earlier i'm not what you would call a traditional artist i'll get into flow by speaking mm. in front of people by having uncomfortable expanding conversations and and i i believe that everybody can find that so for me i think um my my raison d'être right my my the, the way why i exist is to be on this journey to learn so much about myself and i always start with me because do you know how complicated it is to understand yourself <laughs> i mean it is it, it is it is it is nearly impossible for you to actually know yourself so yeah. let's not even start to think about other people or being a couple <laughs> you and you understanding a, your partner let's mm -hmm. not even go there understand mm -hmm. you and 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 i am i'm obsessed with learning about how i function and then challenging myself to learn more grow more expand more and i want to share that message man because i've mm -hmm. seen that everybody from just being a human being Yeah. Everybody who's listening, you have what it takes within you to live a life that is slightly more uplifting than the life you lived yesterday. You have everything uh -huh. in you right now to live the life today that is slightly more empowering, slightly more exhilarating, slightly more exhilarating. I'm going to stick to that word than it was yesterday. You have it now, no matter what your actual circumstances are, you have something now. And I'm obsessed with sharing that with folks, man, everywhere. Oh, wow. Dude, that's so good. That's really great. That's really great. Dude, because I, I, I sometimes am a little cautious about even kind of the field of positive psych and this idea that, you know, you self-improve. I, I, I love some, and the reason for that is because of the privilege element that comes from that sometimes, you know, it's kind of like someone that's struggling and suffering just to get by. If you give them a tool, which is, I'll oh, just think a little bit, think with gratitude. And it, you know, it doesn't necessarily solve the underlying social or economic challenge, but it seemingly does do something to the person's level of subjective well-being. Can you talk, you know, I'm in Australia, but you're in the U S you've lived in, you're from Cameroon. Like you've seen yeah. the world. We've both seen the world. And so, is this something that, you know, all is like universal for all human beings? It is. is this the path of life, you know? Yeah, it's the path of life, man. Look, so I'm from Cameroon. I lived in Cameroon. I lived in uh, Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. I lived in uh, in Lagos in Nigeria. I've lived in Cotonou, uh, uh, Benin. I've lived in wow. in Accra, Accra Ghana. Um, and I've, I've, I've seen some things, man. I've experienced some things. And, and I can tell you this. Once again, obsessing over controlling the things that happen to you, that's not going to be very useful. And I can give you all the perspective, right? So I left Cameroon because the armed, armed robbers came to my family's home like three three times in the span of six months. Like I've gone, I've, I've slept hungry. I've, I've experienced everything that, when you think about extreme poverty, I understand that. Um, but I'll tell you something me having the knowledge that I have some agency, some agency yes. over what my experience gets to be, it is powerful, man. I'll give you an example that 
may resonate or not, but I'm still going to give it because it comes to my mind. Okay, so yeah. okay. we when I was when I was a student in um in middle school, high school, uh, Cameroon, Benin, whatnot. The teachers were mean, man. They were so mean. It was so bad. They were, and you had to respect them like they were they were the king. So when they walked in class, you're supposed to like stand up to show respect, and you don't sit down until they look at you and give you a, a disrespectful, condescending look. Um, that that says now you can sit down. Then you sit down. So I couldn't stand on that. So and they also they're physically abusive. They slap you around, and I can say it smiling now, but it was nothing back then. But I tell you something. When the teacher came and perhaps punished me or or maybe even hit me, right? Smacked yeah. me or whatnot. And I can tell that they expected me to crumble. And I did not crumble. And I saw the look in their face that did something to me. And where I'm getting with that is mm. seeing that I couldn't control what they were doing to me but I had worked something internally where I was not going to give them the satisfaction to see the, resp- the result they expected. That made me feel like I had control. Although I was maybe a 12 year old who felt like I don't control anything, but just controlling how I re- responded yeah. to this abuse was empowering. And there's something about the brain, man, when you set up any goal, any goal at all, and you achieve it, it tells you that you got it. You can do more. So something as simple as I am going to decide that the corruption around me, the poverty around me has caused and will continue to cause damage. That's for sure. However, I will choose one thing within me that I have control over. I will, I will keep my humility. Humility. I will keep my pride. Um, I will make it a point to smile at someone. Mm. I, will, I will make it a point to still comfort someone who's next to me no matter what it is you set that goal yeah. and if you achieve that goal your brain rewards you man and while you can't change your circumstances and even if you might die tomorrow literally you will have lived a better life for having had agency during that miserable life and i know this firsthand because once again the power of knowing that i get to control something I get to set one goal. It's one step closer to I get to live the life that I want. Mm. And anybody can have that. Wow. Thank you, Dito. Man, that's now I've got the goosebumps, bro. Um <laughs> that that just really lands. I think it really lands. I mean, this piece on I don't think it's like agency isn't given to you even though there is power dynamics that we talk about, you know, and in co-design or in schools, we think about student voice choice agency. Now we'll give the students, no, it's kind of like a remembered agency. It's like this, it's always within us. And this, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about Viktor Frankl's work with logotherapy yeah. and a man's search for yeah. meaning, which is one of the best books I've yeah. ever read really impacted me. You know, that space between stimulus and response. And actually that's choice. That's freedom. That's agency is to choose my response even in the moment where you have a teacher standing over you physically abusing you you, yeah. you and realizing that power you have a sovereignty that we give away all the time yeah. every time even like you know for 
I think you're, and this is the piece on the brain. I'd love you to speak to as well. Like we give it away for kind of external dopamine, external loops, which is like mm, some of the extractive social media technologies, for example, which is, you know, we're just kind of looping in these ways that it's really away from, and you wake up after, I don't know, an hour of being in, what do you call it? Doom scroll. Right. And you're yeah. like, oh, you just kind of handed over your consciousness, your agency to some often, you know, big tech platform. You know what I mean? Like that that's advertising yeah. to you and making money off your attention. So this is bro, this is why the transformation piece has to be like this. Agency really for us is at this is a central organizing principle of a human-centered organization, education system, school, company. It's like, what's yours to do? Like uniquely, you know, like where's your gift and how do you contribute that back to the collective? I've, I'm really, it just really resonates with me, dude, this discipline, like the role of discipline, internal discipline. Yep. Like, yep. I, I, you know, I know that I have everything within me, but this is how I choose to be, to act, to create. And I think you think yes. about the great leaders and the great entrepreneurs that level of discipline is kind of what do you man when we talk about transformation in the school space like how how does that become the organizing principle for education so i start with money man money is i don't I, this could be a whole podcast on money money, <laughs> money it's this is bad news man because follow the money right uh, yeah. it's I don't even know what to tell you because I have met individual school leaders who are amazing, who who want to do, to do the right thing. Yeah. And yet they are part of this system. I don't know. That's why I admire anybody who starts their own thing. There's something about that entrepreneurial spirit of saying, you know, uh, maybe I can't change the system from within the system. Um, maybe I have to do something system adjacent and see mm. if I can kind of laterally, <laughs> laterally yeah. kind of stick stick something in there. I, I don't know, man, because I am not convinced that the system as robust as it is of education will change unless it collapses. And I cannot wish for a an intentional collapse. However, I am reminded that not too long ago with COVID, everything collapsing. Yeah, led led to a, a, a huge awakening. Yeah, um, in consciousness, in education, and, and elsewhere, I'm also reminded that most people who are successful are successful either because they are obsessed with growing and developing, or because they are scared of something, and so you're either running away from or you're running towards. And it, it, I'm not sure that the running towards mm. is is getting us what we want. I don't want to run away from anything. I don't want yeah. us to collapse for, for us to say let's change it. Yeah. But but I but I have to say, man, it's um it's a tough it's it's tough to to have these conversations and going to, to a school tomorrow yeah. and realize that they are at step 0 0.001 of what we're discussing. So I guess in this I'm thinking out loud, my answer mm. is we need to be married to the infinite game and know that we are doing the right thing. It, and we should not be obsessed with the short-term dopamine uh, experience, pleasure of 
seeing our goals being realized today or tomorrow. We should be comfortable doing this work and doing the right thing, knowing that we will likely not be alive when the actual results appear and we need to be okay with that. Because if we don't do that, then we're too focused on what seems to be short-term goals, but it's all an illusion. So I, I, I think that's what it is, man. I think it's it's yeah. like health and wellness. You could you could you could take the the, the diet pill or the the, uh -huh. the, the latest fad fad, or you can do the work and just trust that it may take 40 years, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I love that so much. I'm glad you brought up the infinite game. You know, one of my my life defining quotes from Naval, who's an investor, angel investor, and um, kind of really spiritual guy, he says, it's about long-term games with long-term people. But of course, yeah. those those games are long-term. They're infinite games. They're not games that are even winnable. It's not about, mm -hmm. like, you know, Dido, you know, you're a very fit man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I think mm -hmm. It's not about getting fit. It's about being fit. It's a state yeah. that we cultivate. Like you said, mate, it's over 40 years of being fit, not like oh, I got fit in the gym in January and then I'm like, I'm reverting back to things that don't honor health and well-being and like performance and learning and achievement and growth and all the things. Man, that's so profound. Damn, this has been a great chat. Thank you. <laughs> of course, man. Right, this man. is my pleasure. And I'll I, I say this. For anybody who's listening and how we, we, we opened, yeah, this was slow. This was slow. I, I felt a sense of, of selfless, selflessness the whole time. I did not see the time go through, so timelessness. There was no effort into this. Um, and it was a download of information from some sort of other galaxy. Like I could confidently say that it seemed as if somebody else was remote <laughs> controlling and dropping the gem <laughs> here, drop the quote here, and then like give the idea here. This this was flow. Yeah. And, and we, we, we have in common that we cherish every experience of flow that we get, but we're not satisfied if others don't have the similar experiences in their own ways. So, so please take, take, take this conversation and try to study yourself. What are those things that make you feel in flow? And please try to cultivate them as often as possible, even if it's like one minute a day. Um, you will thank yourself for it. Right. That's so good, man. Do you know, I don't, I don't think people will know this, but we had like two questions, which was like, what are you learning? And then what's transformation? <laughs> the rest is totally just flow. And I mean, and you're so right. I'm like, damn. Um, really wonderful, mate, to drop in with you. I think that's the like, I like that terminology. I, kind of you drop into an experience with mm -hmm. another this collective, and this is the whole collective flow piece that again, we're all experiencing. Um, Dido, this is definitely part one, or maybe it's part two, part two of many parts to come. Um, thank yep. you, man. Thanks for joining us throughout this co beautiful conversation. And just for being like an incredibly abundant person, energetically, like a generous, you know, generosity. And I, I saw it the first time I met you. And I just really want to honor you for it, you know, honor for the life you're My choosing pleasure. to live and the work that you continue to do. My pleasure, man. It's this is once again for anyone listening. This is our second true conversation, and you can tell that we could do it forever. And <laughs> I don't think I don't take it for granted, man. I'm I'm super Neither super stoked that we did this. And one shout out to technology because I mean, 
South Florida, you're in Australia, and we're able to do this live. And it, I don't take it for granted that we have the technology today to allow this to happen. And I'm grateful, man. I'm grateful. So good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Learning Future podcast. If you want to find out more about Dido and the work that MindUp are doing, check out some of the links in the show notes. Uh, and in the meantime, keep finding that flow.